0: chapter 8 of thou art the man this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org thou art the man by mary elizabeth braddon chapter 8 dreaming and waking Life at ellerslie took a new colour for brandon mountford after that day it had been pleasant easy unconventional from the beginning he had felt the cordiality of sir joseph's welcome the assurance that his presence gave pleasure to his host but these things made an everyday happiness and there was nothing wonderful or dreamlike in a well-found country house a fine salmon river, and a cheery old man who had become his ascent to fortune's temple on the lowest rung of the ladder. Sibyl's coming had changed the country house into an enchanted palace. The wind-blown terrace and lawns and shrubberies overlooking the bleak Irish sea into an earthly paradise, her coming had changed life into a lovely dream. Her light figure, moving to and fro on the rough banks of the river, transformed that stream into a magical watercourse, leading to an unexplored Eden. When a boating expedition was proposed one day, he almost expected to find the boat drifting into the azure light of caverns, as blue as the vast blue vault at capri he expected anything wonderful and abnormal rather than the rude gray hills and the barren moorland in the beginning he surrendered himself blindly to the enchantment of this girl's society he knew that he could never think of himself or be thought of by sir joseph as a possible husband for this heiress of mines and millions sir joseph had frankly stated His ambitious hopes for his daughter she must marry a peer my dear mountford he said i want her to rise to the sphere which her mother left me when she stooped to marry me i want to see her a countess before i die she is pretty enough and she will be rich enough to be a duchess if there were an eligible duke i won't marry her to a fortune seeker or a profligate Mountfort, I may be ambitious, but I won't sacrifice my girl's happiness, even to make her a peeress. All this had been said more than once before Sibyl's return, and all this Mountfort had accepted as inevitable a decree of destiny, since Sir Joseph was the kind of man to carry out his own ideas to the letter, and it would be hard if, among the bachelor peers of Great Britain, a worthy as well as a titled husband could not be found for his heiress. Mountford knew himself out of the running. Were I a duke and the inheritor of a couple of shires, I should be just as ineligible as I am now, he thought. Nothing would ever induce me to link my life with a dearer life and blight the heart that loved me. Having thus made up his mind about himself, having set himself resolutely on the side of the celibates, Brandon Mountford made the mistake which men are apt to make in such circumstances. He was too secure of himself. He thought that he might reckon in advance of the greybeard time and think of himself as a middle-aged unimpressionable misogynist while he was still in the very morning of life much fresher in heart and brain than the majority of young men since he had never blunted his feelings in the mill-round of youthful dissipations had not wasted the first fervent love of boyhood upon the sirens and sylphs of the music-halls or the dancing club had not been spoiled or wearied by the vacuity and parrot-speech of the modish young lady, who is by way of being sporting or fast. To Brandon Mountford, an English girl in the morning of her youth, was almost a new creation. Had Aphrodite herself met him in some cavern of that bleak shore in the half-life of daybreak, she could not have seemed more enchanting than Sibyl in the grace and purity of her unspoiled girlhood. He yielded unresistingly to the charm of her presence, accepted her friendly advances, telling her lightly that she was to think of him as a newly discovered poor relation, something of the nature of an uncle. You might as well as call me, uncle miss higginson he said one day as he was assisting sibyl and marie not to catch salmon they had taken a good many lessons in the art of throwing a fly but had not yet achieved the distinction of a bite oh i couldn't possibly do that sibyl answered decisively you are much too young for an uncle I will call you cousin, if you like, though perhaps even that would sound foolish. But we are a kind of cousins, aren't we?" Yes, we are cousins in the third degree. I am glad of that. I like to know that I am related to you. Father likes you so much, quite as well as if you were his nephew. Please call me Sybil in the future. Miss Higginson, is dreadfully formal, and it's such an ugly name. It was agreed, therefore, that they were to call each other Brandon and Sybil. We are actually cousins. Sybil explained the first time she uttered the visitor's Christian name in her father's hearing, so it would be absurd to go on mistering and missing each other. The speech was so frankly spoken that sir joseph took no alarm at the idea he too had accepted brandon mountford as a harmless bachelor cousin he had met dozens of such young men in society young men as harmless and often as necessary by reason of their helpfulness in all the minor details of domestic life as the often quoted cat he had no idea that such an existence could menace his dearest hopes. The time came too soon for Brandon's peace, after ten or twelve days of unalloyed bliss, when the young man knew his own peril. He knew that he loved Sybil with a love that means the happiness or misery of a lifetime, or at least of all life's best years. There may be healing for such a wound but it is a cure so gradual and so tardy that the convalescent hardly knows whether the passing years have conquered his passion or worn out his heart he knew that he loved her knew that his delight in her society was something stronger and deeper than a man's pleasure in the company of a lovely and fascinating girl knew that the lightest touch of her hand thrilled him, and that the sound of her voice, heard casually from the garden while he was writing a letter by the open window of his own room, would set his heart beating and make him write nonsense. They had been rarely alone together. They had only talked to each other in the lightest strains upon the most casual subjects. Marie was always with them walking by sea or more, lounging on the terrace, lingering over the friendly tea-table, visiting the stables, driving, riding. Marie was as inevitable as Sibyl's shadow. Brandon might have thought that this perpetual companionship on Miss Arnold's part was in obedience to orders from Sir Joseph but sir joseph's whole way of life was too unsophisticated to allow of such an idea no sir joseph trusted his guest and it was for his guest to prove worthy of the confidence that had been so freely given brandon knew that he had been received on the strength of his race warranted trustworthy as it were because of the good blood that flowed in his veins the gentleman's heritage of honour and self-respect. Not for all that this earth can give of happiness would he have proved himself unworthy of the good man's confidence. Thinking over that shadowing of Sibyl by Marie Arnold, he accounted for it to his own satisfaction as a sign of the elder girl's jealous attachment To her adopted sister. It must be jealousy, and only jealousy, which made Marie dog their footsteps and intrude her own personality upon every conversation, every small scheme of amusement. There were times when he could see that even Sybil was annoyed by the elder girl's obtrusiveness. They could talk of no subject in which Marie would not take her part, sometimes talking sheer nonsense in her eagerness to join in their conversation. Whatever the feeling was, which influenced the strong and passionate nature, it was a feeling that totally changed the girl's manner. And the change, in Brandon's opinion, was greatly for the worse. He could but compare the Marie Arnold of the present, vehement, excitable, dictatorial even, with the Marie-Arnold of those quiet days before Sibyl's return. Then the dependent had been all gentleness, modest, retiring, given to thoughtful silence, rather than overmuch speech. Now she was loquacious, irritable, capricious, changing without apparent reason from exaggerated gaiety to sullen gloom resenting unintended slights, exacting, pettish. To Brandon, the change became hourly, more mysterious, and more worrying. You know Miss Arnold better than I do, he said to Urquhart one evening in the billiard room, and perhaps you can tell me if she is often as disagreeable as she was today during a river excursion in my sight marie arnold can never be disagreeable she is simply the loveliest woman i know and the most fascinating i did not know you were so ardent an admirer she is handsome unquestionably in a certain style i can understand your admiring her but i think you will admit that she has changed for the worse since miss higginson's return possibly i dare say she feels her false position a little more keenly when sibyl is at home you are pleased to talk of a false position Out really i don't see where the falsehood comes in sir joseph treats her with unwavering kindness sir joseph treats his collie dog with unwavering kindness but do you suppose such a girl as marie conscious of the highest gifts a woman can possess does not feel the difference between the acknowledged and the unacknowledged daughter the heiress and the dependent i don't think miss arnold or any friend of miss arnold's has the right to jump at conclusions upon such a subject as that returned brandon with grave displeasure he liked and even respected sir joseph higginson and on that account alone was inclined to resent the insinuation that this girl whose presence was an ostensible fact in the family circle could be the offspring of some low intrigue much more did he dislike the idea that Sibyl's companion and friend should be a base-born sister, the inheritor of a mother's shame. Perhaps, says Sir Joseph is a very good fellow and a millionaire, the wisest course for all of us is to imagine his moral character, stainless, Urquhart retorted, with an open sneer. For my part? I'm inclined to think him human, and that his affection for Marie Arnold has its roots in an unforgotten love of his youth. I don't believe in abstract benevolence or adopted nieces. Suddenly, swiftly, it was borne in upon Brandon Mountford that this paradise along whose sunlit paths he had been wandering lost in a dream of unquestioning bliss was a paradise from which he must flee and that once having left eden those good angels self-respect and honour standing with flaming swords on either side of the gate would forbid his return he had been trusted in that household he had been warned by implication against any attempt to win Sibyl's heart, and now he shrank, appalled, bewildered, yet overjoyed at the thought that her heart was almost won. Yes, albeit they were so rarely together and alone, even for a few minutes, he had seen the signs of a growing interest in him and his life. He had seen the fair young face steeped In those sudden overwhelming blushes which tell of nascent love. He had seen Sybil start at his footstep, beam with gladness at his approach. He had seen her intense interest in those stories of his travels, which he had told casually at first, and with a diffident apprehension of becoming a bore, but which both Sybil and Marie had urged him to enlarge upon. AND TO NOT REPEAT ONCE BUT SEVERAL TIMES STORIES OF LIONS, STORIES OF SAVAGE FOES, STORIES OF FEVER, STORIES OF tricksters AND CARD SHARPERS AT PORT NATAL, STORIES OF BUFFALOES, LOST OR DEAD, OF EXTINGUISHED CAMPFIRES, THERE WAS NO DETAIL OF HIS ADVENTUROUS WANDERINGS IN WHICH THOSE TWO LISTENERS WERE NOT INTERESTED. I feel like a modern Othello, with a pair of Desdemonas," he said lightly, one afternoon as he was sculling lazily with the current, while Sybil and Marie sat in the stern of the skiff, Sybil holding the rudder lines, and then he quoted, almost automatically, She loved me for the dangers I had passed, and I loved her that she did pity them. Oh sibyl he cried as the nose of the boat swung suddenly round, what a jerk. Is that your idea of steering? I beg your pardon, Brandon. I thought that large barge was coming toward us. That barge was hugging the furthermost shore. About a quarter of a mile away, Brandon glanced at Marie, and was surprised at the angry light in the large, dark eyes, surprised at the searching gaze which the elder girl fixed upon Sibyl's drooping eyelids and blushing cheeks. End of Chapter 8